a quick little PSA before we hop back into part two of this epic investing episode with Travis Fonderson. The Broaden Your Perspective podcast is now available on Apple Podcasts. If you've been waiting for this podcast to get onto the Apple platform, it's here now. Also, I've created a second Instagram page strictly for podcast-related content. You can follow it at BYP Podcast. That's BYP Podcast. I've also created a Facebook page as well called Broaden Your Perspective. So please, I would greatly appreciate it if you could follow my new social media accounts. With that being said, welcome back to part two of the investing episode with Travis Fonderson. Not much has to be said as we dive right back into our conversation about beginner advice for investing. Without further ado, here we go. If I'm a beginner investor, Travis, and I, I don't want to go the route of ETFs and mutual funds, I want to, so, so I guess, let me rephrase it this way. What would be the types of investments you would suggest for different aims? Like, for example, if my aim was to have high risk, high return, or my aim was to be low risk, low return, would you, where would you put ETFs and mutual funds on that scale? I would put it between the two, I'd say. Um, maybe even, yeah, I'd put it between the two. Like ETFs, depending on what type of, of ETF you're getting into, because ETFs, they, they can be, they're not always just bundles of, of stocks. They can also be bundles of, of bonds, which is another term we haven't gotten into. But um, if, if you've heard of the term, like a bond is basically like a, a debt investment. So it's it's you give money to like an entity or something, um, and they pay you um, interest, you know, for the time period that they hold that money, and then they pay you back, you know, the initial amount you paid to them before. And those are typically seen as safer investments um, because debt holders are always required to be paid before equity holders um, legally. Um, so investing in, in in bonds or debt of companies is usually seen as safer. So if you're in an ETF uh, that focuses on bonds, for example, then um, you know, or fixed income, then then you'd probably be more on the lower risk lower reward type side, even though you're still invested in the ETF. So it, it can vary. But for the most part, if we're talking about equity related mutual funds and, and ETFs, I'd put it between the the, the high risk, high reward and the low risk, uh, low reward um, category. Or, yeah, due to the fact that that they're highly diversified, you you really do mitigate a lot of the risk that we talked about before. If one company tanks, you still have many, many others uh, to rely on and whatnot. But um, getting into your question a bit more in terms of what tools you want to be using if you're considered, you know, a little bit more risky or if you're considered a little bit less risk tolerant. If we if we look at it like this, stocks are definitely the the, the most risky type of in investment you could probably get into if we're, if we're looking at um yeah yeah if if we're looking at it from a general scale if you're if you're investing in a like a a stock like a specific stock. By that I mean you're you're not investing in a in a fund that has multiple companies in it. You just have your money in in one specific stock. Then yeah, it, it becomes more risky because now you have more of your eggs in the same basket. Um, and if that company does poorly, then your whole portfolio does poorly. Um, and stuff like that. But vice versa, if that company does well, then your whole portfolio uh, does well. So when we think of risk in in, in finance and investing. 
it's basically the probability of, of, of your investment going down. That's, that's the risk that you have. Uh, the, the, the stock price at which you bought at uh, drops. When you're investing um, in, in, in specific stocks, uh, you, you, you definitely have, you're, you're, you're exposed more and more to that risk because you haven't diversified that, that risk away by investing in multiple companies. So if you're a high risk, uh, you know, type of person, or, or you want to get that sort of high risk, high expected return um, schedule going, then, then yeah, you'd probably want to focus on doing more of your individual research on specific companies. And you probably have a little bit less of a, of a diversified portfolio, right? But I mean, with that comes a little bit more work because you have to be consistently monitoring to see when your like target price is hit, for example, or, you know, things such as that. If we sort of move down the scale a little bit more, uh, we'd probably get into ETFs and mutual funds being uh, more medium, medium risk, uh, medium reward uh, type type uh, stock or type uh, investments, right? And we talked about those before. If we move a little bit further down the scale, bonds that were fixed income that that I that I sort of talked about a little bit uh, before, and um, those are seen as as so long as you're investing in a in a company that has a good bond rating. Um, which like most investors would would find themselves doing if they are considered low risk, um, low return individuals. It, it's it's almost it's almost like I don't want to say guaranteed, but it's it's very likely. Like if you're investing in the bonds of Apple or even the government, um, they have very very good good bond ratings, um, and the probability of them de- defaulting on on your payment is is very low. So that's why they're seen as uh, you know less risky than than investing in stocks. Uh, and whatnot. And then if you probably want to get into the most safe uh, type of investment, then we'd probably be looking at something called GICs, Guaranteed Investment Certificates. Um, and what these are, they're, they're similar to bonds um, in the sense that you're, you're giving a sum of money to an entity, typically like a financial, inst- a financial uh, institution such as a bank, and they're going to hold that money for a specific amount of time. You're not going to be able to touch that money for that specific set out amount of time. But by that time, uh, the GIC reaches its maturity, meaning that the term of them holding your money is now over. They will, you know, have provided you uh, interest for the amount of time that they they held on to that money, you know, for whatever purposes they wanted to use it for. Um, and those are typically seen as the most like safe investments because financial institutions, especially in Canada, are very, very, very successful and and safe uh, companies, you know, because as we all know, banks charge a lot for their work. Like there's these bank fees. Like, I mean, we get away with it because we're youth and stuff like that. But once we're not, they char- start charging you fees and banks always loan money at a rate higher than the interest they'll pay to us in our savings account. So the banks are always profitable, almost always profitable. The economy is is, is doing fine. Right. So I just want to go into yeah. bonds a little bit more because I think that is just super interesting for me because recently I've been diving into this book. It's called uh, Capital in the 21st Century uh-huh. by Thomas Piketty. It's a hard read. I don't know. For me, it's hard. I, it's been like a month and I'm like 100 pages in because it's, I just got to, it's like reading a textbook pretty much. But have you, you've heard of that book before? Um, I actually haven't. No, mention the name again. Yeah. Sorry. It's called Capital in the 21st Century. I think you'd really like that book. It, it okay. talks a lot about how, you know, there's always discrepancies between wealth and wealth differences and stuff like that. But yeah. one part of the book, or at least the first part of the book, it talks a lot about the difference between or why there are discrepancies between public and private wealth, like why that number fluctuates so much across the years, right? Mm-hmm. And one key factor that it was talking about was with bonds. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, from what you just said about bonds, so basically what they are is let's say, let's say you're a company and you you need 
money to continue with your operations or whatever, whatever. So you'll start issuing these bonds basically saying, okay, so let's say you're targeting me. So you say, hey, as a consumer, you give me the money, the $500, let's say, that I need for this project or whatever. And in X amount of years, not only will I pay you interest across um, those years, but at the end of those five years or whatever it is, I'll pay you back that initial amount, right? So to me, that just sounds like, well, damn, like that's $500. I'm going to continue getting interest. By the time I get it back, for sure, I'm going to get more than $500 back, right? And so in the book, it talked a lot about how a lot of private wealth was accumulated in like the 1900s because there was really no such thing as inflation back then. So, but I'm just wondering like with now, how exactly profitable are bonds? And because, you know, if you're talking about money now versus money in the future, that's literally inflation, right? That the difference in that is the value is inflation. So how big does inflation play a role on, you know, bonds and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, inflation, it most definitely, it plays a huge part in, in all of our economy. But yeah, with, with bonds specifically, I personally think in today's society, especially for people uh, around our age, I, I honestly do think we have better opportunities than than bonds um, to, to earn money over the longer term, um, merely due to the fact that Bonds, they are they're what we consider them uh, fixed income. It's called fixed income. That's that's the category they're they're placed in because it's a fixed amount of money that you're earning on a periodic basis, right? When a bond is issued, there's a stated coupon rate on that bond, and that coupon rate is basically the rate of interest that you will be paid on whatever said periodic basis from the issuer of the bond, right? So that amount is never gonna be increase throughout the the term of the bond, the the interest payment that you get, and will never be decreased, right? So that's why it's considered to be safe because it's consistent. um, And if, again, like almost guaranteed income, so long as you're invested in a a good rated, you know, company um, or a highly investment grade rated company, right? Now, where that can um, make you lose out in today's day and age is because inflation is, is, is a factor, right? So inflation is something that takes place like on an annual basis. So let's say if you had a 10-year bond or something and you're getting the same rate of return for every single every single year, right? Um that's that those returns are going to start getting they're going to they're going to diminish because inflation is going to compound every single year. It'll be the target inflation rate in Canada is 2%. So if we think of it that way, prices of goods and services will get 2% more expensive in the first year. And in the second year, it'll get 2% more expensive versus the prior year. So really, you compound those 2% for the two years. And then three years, it gets 2% more expensive, four years, you know what I'm saying? So really becomes like that 2% to the power of like, I guess by the end, like like 10% or whatever. If you're still getting paid the same rate of interest on the bond, right? Unless it's a really high rate of interest, um, which would, if you're investing in a, in a really safe company, odds are it probably won't be a really high rate of, yep. of interest. It, it starts to diminish and it starts to get eaten at, right? So I, I think it depends on, um, you know, well, if, if we're talking about bonds being good or bad investments, I think it depends on what stage you are in life and how consistent you need to be with your returns. Like, are you looking for, for uh, do you need money to be consistent for you? Are you a senior? You know, do you have kids? Do you have insurance payments? Do you have car payments? All those kinds of things where you can't really to really afford to lose much money in the short term. Those types of things would be the questions to ask, like whether bonds might be good, you know, or, or, or bad. Well, not even bad, but, but good or are there better opportunities? 
So I think for, for us as young individuals, bonds are something that I personally don't really deal with because I think they're better opportunities in ETFs and, and stocks at this age and, and due to the amount of time that I have. But I mean, getting back to your question a little bit more, uh, I think that's definitely how inflation can can kind of, I guess, hurt bondholders in a sense. But again, people get other other types of value from bonds in the sense that they're really safe. Uh, whereas, like, I mean, looking at someone who's holding a stock versus someone who's holding a bond, inflation is hitting them both. But the person who has the guaranteed return is the per- is the person holding is the person holding the bond. But Again, like as I said before, it depends on what stage you are in your life where um, you know you can afford for short-term fluctuations because you have the longer-term potential, but some people you know might not have that because they're older and stuff like that. And, and for that sake and purpose, you know bonds might be better regardless of the inflation situation. Yeah, yeah. So I know for me, like when I was first getting into investing, I thought that there was only it was a one dimensional risk, right? Either I buy it, and this value decreases, or I buy it and this value increases, there's my risk right there. But now you can bring in topics such as you know, inflation is another risk that may affect your portfolio. Now, another thing that definitely interests me a lot is, you know, we live in Canada, right? And I bet a lot of our listeners are Canadian. So when we and a lot of the stocks are listed, in US mm-hmm. dollars. So, you know, how exactly does that work? Like, for example, if I'm buying yeah. stocks in US dollars, US yeah. currency, now, not only am I getting the risk of either the stock decreasing or increasing right. in value, but now I also get, now I'm also doubling my risk by spreading it across to the criteria of currency right. valuation now right. as well. Because let's say I do really good on my stock values, but now all of a sudden, oh, shoot, the Canadian to US dollars currency exchange is mm. terrible. Now I've just doubled mm. my risk. So in terms of a risk like that, are there ways to protect yourself from something like that? Or how do you investors work their way around situations mm, like these? Mm, yeah, that is that is a that is a good question. Like from my experience, I have dealt with that uh, a, a little bit. I've never been in in a in a case scenario where the the uh, exchange rate has gotten extremely, extremely poor. But uh, I think I think the the the, the best way to sort of uh, mitigate that is more so. Well, first comes to first things first. Like anytime you're making uh, an investment such as that, um, the same way you know what your risk is when you're investing in a stock is that it could go down. If you're investing in another part of the world, you need to first off understand that it is a risk that 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 the exchange rate, the FX. Um, you know, rates can 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 fluctuate, and then that can that can most definitely um, you know uh, hurt your investment. So I guess the best way to mitigate that would really be to I guess um, have money in in uh, like for example, let's say for Canadians we're investing in U.S. is to have stocks in 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 both in both areas of the of the or both sides of the of the of the border because if the USD rate, for example, is going down. Well, it's a two-sum game. That means that relative to the USD, the CAD is getting better if the USD is getting worse, right? And vice versa. If the, if the CAD is going down, then regardless of what the situation is, USD is always going to be like appreciating if, if against the CAD, if the CAD is decreasing. It's a two-sum game when you're looking at it um, from, from uh, like, uh, you know, one country's currency to another country's. So I guess the best way to mitigate that would just be to have uh, portfolio holdings in, 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 in both. You know, um, although you'll never be able to directly, like, let's say if I have, okay, like the only thing I can think of right now is like, uh, um, 
a lot of the uh, the the up and coming cannabis companies they've started to list themselves on um, the on the Canadian well they came from the Canadian exchange but they're also on the U.S. exchange right so like it, it's 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 gonna be difficult like if I have U.S. Right. listing if I if I own um if I own uh companies from the from the or stocks of the cannabis company from the u.s listing like i'll never be able to stop the u.s currency going down i'll never be able to stop myself from being hurt in that manner but i could you know try and mitigate that the best way i can just by also having some canadian securities of that same company um in in my canadian portfolio although i'll never 100 you know um net to zero that's probably the best thing that i that i can try and do but I mean, that's getting, if that makes sense, like that's getting really technical about it. But I think the best thing to do would just be to have uh, portfolio holdings in both, you know, um, so that whenever the, the USD goes down, like your CAD investments are a little bit, are worth a little bit more uh, relative to right. the USD at the point that the USD went down and vice versa. When the CAD goes down, you have some USD that's sort of fought against, you know, the drop in the Canadian a little bit. I know that was a lot of, a lot of back and forth, but if that made sense, that's one of the best ways to mitigate it. Yeah, no, definitely, man. Um, so what about, you know, as a beginner investor getting into it, you know, you're almost overwhelmed by the amount of sheer choices you have and what companies you want to invest in and, and all this stuff. So what would you, for example, for yourself, right, when you're investing in stocks, mm -hmm. What do you look at and what are some key trigger points that you say, hey, this might be something that's good to invest in? Because obviously, you know, there are the typical ones that come right to your mind when you go into investing. Like, oh, I want to invest in Google or Apple or Facebook. Like, yeah. These companies look like they're on the rise. They've been on the rise. They're going to continue going on the rise. Yeah. So why not hop on that, you know, express train right now and grow value in that sense? But, you know, when it comes away from these mainstream companies that everybody's talking about, how do you like when you're doing your research on companies, what do you look for in a good investing opportunity? Right, right. I think I think I can talk about this from a, a, an example of, 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 of my portfolio right now, actually. A hot topic right now is obviously we're just talking about it, the cannabis companies, right? And right now that's seen as a high yep, risk area sure. because they they obviously they aren't seasoned companies. They haven't had you know years of solid profit as the blue chip companies such Apple and and those companies uh, have had, right? So people are are wary of okay, like is this is this gonna are they gonna be showing profits in the future and are they gonna be showing consistently growing profits in the future, right? So for me, a greater portion of my portfolio are in companies such as that, due to my research and and due to my my high risk tolerance being the young, you know, individual that I am, right? Um, now, what has sort of made me okay with investing in these companies? Uh, things that I've, that I've looked at at a, at a great amount is surprisingly not their, their financial statements, which is, or like their, their, their financial performance, which is one thing that people, you know, automatically assume uh, is, is the go-to thing when, when investing. Now, Obviously, financial performance is is a is a great indicator when you're looking at companies that have had years of of, of numbers to show. You know what I'm saying? Like older companies, like such as like Coke, um, stuff like that. It's fair to evaluate them based off of their historical performance, and then you know um, estimate a rate of growth based off of past patterns and stuff like that. But when it comes to companies such as these cannabis companies, for example, they don't have that track record merely because of their their environment. 
uh, uh, recreational cannabis, for example, before it didn't get legalized until until last year, right? Um, October of last year. Um, so obviously, innately, they're not going to be able to 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 profit as much because their market is is completely chopped down to just people who have the licenses, right? To use it for med- medicinal purposes. You know, now that it's it's opened up, there's potential for a lot more profit, a lot more revenue, and whatnot. So what I look at with with these companies specifically. A, very many news articles and things that talk a lot about what is their their expected potential. So I look at things such as their expected growth in production capacities, for example. Like I know this is getting sort of specific to, to the cannabis companies, but like just to sort of talk about some of the different areas to look in when it's it's not as I guess straightforward as investing in in like a, a old you know solid valued company. You want to look at what is the expected future future potential. So things uh, such as like production capacity, are they establishing themselves in in other countries? You know where are their license deals coming from. If we're looking at like cannabis companies, what's the potential for other companies or for other countries to start legalizing cannabis? Things like that. Those are very many of the things that I have been looking into when I've made my decisions to invest in and in, in, in these companies based off of. Uh, what the expected future potential is. I've been following them now pr- probably since since what the end of maybe mid 2017. So so like a year and a half and a bit now or something like that. I sort of look out to see how these companies step by step been executing on what they said they'd execute. You know, um, uh, a year and a, a year and a half ago. For the most part, like like uh, they have been right. So I've I've chosen to to keep my money. Um, in, in these things for the longer term, because I do think that's that's where the potential is. Um, I think that that this industry can really boom in the future due to, you know, like looking at, at things that I've talked about before, the production capacities and and their their international presence and stuff like that. So I guess that's that's sort of one factor that you can look at expected future performance uh, from from news articles from from viable resources another factor that that people would look into when when investing in companies uh, which is something obviously a lot more fundamental and and as I said before would be something that you do for older more uh, established companies is uh, looking at their historical financial performance right um, when we when we look at the prices stocks um, and securities in the market really it comes down to, what what we call the present value of future cash flows. That's really what price in the stock market is derived from, the present value of future cash flows. I don't know if you've ever heard of the term cash is king. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So that term basically refers to you can you can sort of tell the health of of a of a, the financial health of a company uh based off of what its cash situation is. If a if a company like bankrupt is a term that everyone knows, it means you no longer have any money, or you have you know your debts uh, now exceed your 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 liabilities now now exceed your 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 assets, right? And you're you're in debt. You owe more than you than you currently own, and that comes from a lack of having cash. So when cash is abundant within companies, then they have more opportunities to to be flexible. They have more opportunities to invest when you know good projects come around. They have more cash to give to their um, shareholders as dividends, and they have more cash to grow. Right. So really, the the the, the value that the the bottom line value that we see in companies um, is their ability to really generate cash flows uh, for them to continue on with their business and become 
bigger and stronger, right? So that's why when we look at the prices of stocks, typically they're they're generated from the present value of future cash flows, right? What is all the future benefit that they're going to get discounted back to today, right? And, and that's what should give us the prices of securities, right? So um, when we look at what good companies are going to look like is companies that are going to be able to generate solid cash flows going into the future and and whatnot. And that can be determined by looking at the historical performance of these companies, right? Looking at their financial statements uh, in the past, doing your best to to associate a growth rate, you know, yeah. with that. Yeah, Does that make sense? yeah, that's that's sort of like the mental area of, of starting starting things out. Um, but yeah. Yeah, so definitely a lot, a lot of research and dedication is definitely required to make sure that you can make the most well-informed decision, I guess. And this is honestly like the first time that you and I have sat down and just dived into stocks and investing. Yeah. And yeah, I'm just amazed, man. Like you are super knowledgeable about almost any question I'm firing at you. You're coming back at me with everything. Um, and it's just, it's amazing to hear that. But, <laughs> right. you know, the craziest thing about all of this is that you're doing everything you're doing with Young Funds program. You have all this knowledge about investing. You have your own portfolio that you're managing through Quest Trade, mm-hmm. and and you are a full time student at the University of Waterloo in the accounting and finance program, which is by right. no means a easy breezy program. And you're also in co op as well. So right. you know how do you find the time to balance these things? Right. Right. Yeah, no, very, very, very good question. At the end of the day, especially this co-op terms, uh, particularly, I've found it probably like the busiest time I've ever had in my life, just due to the fact that, um, yeah, I mean, as you said, on top of other things, I try and do this, this thing uh, on the top, right? And it, it does get to a point where you do have to, I guess, get not give up but get, give away some of the time from one thing to another thing so like for example with school you you need to to come to a consensus on what is of most like like true value to you to to the extent yep. where you can still execute on what you need to execute in being like in terms of like like doing well enough in school and 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 doing well enough at work doing well enough with the other passions and pastimes that you have. So I've most definitely found that I've had to give up some of the time that I put towards school, for example, but only to the extent that I am still comfortable with, you know, meeting what I need to meet at school. Because at the end of the day, and and honestly, parents might not agree with me on this and other people might not agree with me on this, but my my what i've come to realize is that whatever you like do what floats your boat but a lot of the time people will will give up all their time to try and get the absolute highest grade that they can in school or whatnot and they may just do that simply merely due to the fact that society um you know says people who do well in school are like better or whatnot or like parents expect their kids to get like it's like meat specific targets and stuff like that. But regardless of someone who gets like a 95 average and someone who gets like a 70, a high set, like a 78 average or something, both of those are considered 
passes. Both of those are considered you're getting your degree if 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 that's the past level. And 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 going into the future, no employer is going to be like you. You got a seventy eight percent. Like, I'm not going to consider all the other things you've done on the side, whether that's speaking at events, whether that's starting up a venture. I'm only going to consider what your grades were when it comes down to picking, you know, you to work at my firm. I, I That's not how, how, how companies work and that's not how the world works. For me, it's been a matter of knowing what it is that I need to, to maintain with school keeping that that benchmark when it comes to 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 getting what I need to get in school and then associating any of the excess time to 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 things that I really want to carry into my future and that I really you know care about and I really want to build out i.e you know the, the the YFP so that's again that's a really personal point of view I know probably not everyone can associate with that because like to each their own everyone floats their own boat but for me, I've definitely seen that, uh, as you said, time is a finite uh, resource and you have to choose what is, is, is truly, truly important to you and what you can afford to do um, and then budget your time out that way. You know, I know I spoke like a lot there, but, but that's, that's sort of the way I see things now, you know, um, so long as you're not like just giving up time from something that Im- that's important to do nothing, right? If that time is being made up with something equally as productive or equally as um, important to you, then I think it's I think it's a it's a fair and it's a it's a notable uh, shift of time, right? Um, so that's like when we talk about school and YFP, that's sort of how I've been I've been um, managing things. And I mean, it's been working out like, I mean, not, like, I'm not trying to say like, um, I'm just on the brink of passing. Like I still am like uh, uh, on the in like uh, excellent academic standing and stuff like that. So things have been working out. It's just my mind has shifted from, oh, like I, I no longer just use school as an excuse to say, oh, I can't do this because I have school. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I make the time now uh, with within within the extent of my bounds to to meet my you know my 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 demands and my deadlines so really just setting your priorities straight and making sure that you're being efficient with your time but i know that making a decision like that it takes a tremendous amount of self-awareness and knowing what you want to achieve in life and i know for a fact that when i return back to school in Mm -hmm. a month or so in may I'm going to be faced with a constant battle of all right, school yeah. versus hosting this podcast versus participating yeah. in extracurriculars like Nactus versus, you know, exercising, yeah. playing basketball, which I love. And, you know, for me, it's always been about, damn, if I'm in school, I want to get the highest grades. I want to get the best grades. I want to get a hundred average. But it's just been like even last time I was trying to do what you were talking about is like shifting your priorities and reallocating your time. But when push came to shove for me, I ended up just going right back to how I was in the beginning of just, you know, putting all of my time towards school and academics. And as just, I don't know, for myself, it was just hard to let that go, no matter how much I wanted to, you know, participate in Enactus, no matter how much I wanted to do other stuff. So walk me through a little bit about that process of, you know, self-awareness of yourself. And at what point in your mind did something click and you're like, damn, I want to take YFP serious. I want to take this to the next level. Like what, what point in that, in your mindset, did something just click then? Yeah. Um, I, I think really what, what made it click is that the alternative is to basically 
be like everyone else, I think. If if and what I mean by that is look how many people go to our school and are in our programs like specifically and we're all basically doing the exact same thing, right? We're all trying to get that highest mark. We're all trying to get those good like jobs that we consider and we're all doing it the same way by going to class getting as high grades as we can possibly do and devoting um our time to school like like we always say no like i can't do like school is not saying school shouldn't be the top priority it's it's completely up to you but it's like i feel like people consider school to be the top priority at society's discretion not even at their own discretion they just do it because that's what they've been nurtured uh, to believe right that you need to have high grades if you're going to be anyone you need to put all your time and effort to school if you're going to be a somebody right and i think the uh, what sort of made uh the the what was the the turning point for me was that we're all doing this the exact same way where where does the differentiating factor come in right and especially in 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 my program the reason why i've not like not necessarily distanced myself from the program but like like i i don't really find myself doing the the same things that typical AFM students would do, whether that's competing in like stock pitches or joining the investment fund or doing uh, school of accounting, finding specific extracurricular activities is because that's what everyone else is also doing within my program. So when it comes time to, you know, like I use getting a job as, as the easiest example, because most people understand that employers are going to be looking at the exact same resumes, right? They're going to be looking at the exact same resumes. Oh, yeah, you know, I've seen tons of other people on this club. Oh, yeah, you know, I've seen tons of other people with this average. Where's the differentiating factor? And and that's when 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 it, I noticed to myself that I, I think it's important to be doing something different because that's what's going to make me stand out in, in the future. And, and I don't just want to stand out for the sake of standing out. But going back to what I was talking before, um, I want to be an example to people of, making the world better. And I think one way to do that is to stand out and have people believe in you and have people uh, see you as as a value provider, right? And I think one of the ways to do that is by engaging yourself in activities that make you stand out and make you seem different, right? And that's, I think, when I was like, if, if I get my AFM degree, there's thousands, tens of thousands, um, maybe even more of people who already have that. And it's not going to really help me be the change maker that I want to be in in the future because I'll just be seen as as anyone else right yeah does, does that make sense like like that's actually the first time I've thought of it I've thought of it from that exact point of view but but yeah like hearing it out loud that's yeah that's totally no that was very very deep man that was a lot of wisdom to be shared uh right there but like I don't know because like you know you you keep using like a, a job as an example and I know from the conversation that we talked about is that you know active income is not something that you want to do for the rest of your life right like correct me if i'm if i'm putting words in your mouth right right so what do you see i don't want this to be like a typical like interview question mm-hmm. but like basically like what do you want to see yourself doing like in the future yeah. like right now you're working at pwc for your right. co-op and this is your second co-op term right, right? yeah so like i assume that or i know for a fact that you don't want to be in the position you're in right now until like you're 65 but so like what what do you want to to do then like what's your future path do you think are you going to turn something you know out of young funds program make that a full-time thing like what is it that you hope to do that's a question i ask myself every day and try to give myself a concrete answer 
I mean, being a 20-year-old, I'm sure same thing with you. It's it's so hard to completely and whole heart or wholly answer that that uh, question because there's still just so much time we have ahead of us. But I think this is the way I'd answer it. I don't necessarily know the exact vehicle that I will use to get there, but I know what I would like my destination to be. Um, and I know that that's, I guess it's kind of general, but going back to, to what I was talking about before, I, I, I want to use the, the, the skills and talents that I have that are unique to me to, to make the world better. So like, if I were to try and answer this question um, in the best way that I can is, yeah, extrapolating something um, of the Young Funds program and, and, and putting that forth, maybe, you know, being some type of speaker in a sense, or I don't really want to use the word like educator, but like, like, yeah, like, like someone who advocates the message of, of, I guess since, since like I focus on, on investing so much of, of this investing message, like, honestly, like I haven't bridged the, the gap yet of exactly how this can be taken to, to, to actually, you know, solve a, a need like full time just yet. But something along those lines of using this passion um, with 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 um, investing and and just this this general knowledge gap with our youth and and yeah like advocating as much as I can going around to as many places as I can and and putting on these these seminars or these these talks or whatever to 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 spread this message. Now, like I know, like hearing it out loud, it's it definitely sounds like the pieces aren't fully filled yet, but. That is what I think is going to, to fulfill me, you know, by the time that I am 65, 70 years old, whatever it may be, because I am, I'd be executing on my mantra of adding value, you know, the best way that I know how. So, so, I mean, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, definitely did. I think that is a, that's an amazing strategy for people that, because like when we come out of high school, right, that's literally a question everybody's yeah. always asking. Like, what do you want to do? Yeah. Like, what do you see yourself in five years? Like, yeah, I, you follow Gary Vee as well. And I follow him on Instagram as well. I, I'm, I'm sure it was from him. He posted something where, you know, he just he talked about that literally in his Instagram post. He's like, I don't know what I'm going to do five years from now because the world is changing so rapidly. If I set my vehicle to be exactly. something concrete, there's no way that's going to happen. Like. Five years ago, like Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube, all these things like were not as booming and popular as they are now. So how can you set, you know, a concrete path and say, oh, you know what, this is what I'm going to do and this is how I'm going to do it. It's almost impossible. It's like things are changing so much. And so I think if there's one piece of advice that, you know, for people listening is if you don't know what you want to do, set out like a general destination and, you know, take on what Travis is doing, like reverse engineer your path backwards and make sure you, the vehicle that you want to take to achieve your destination is something that's flexible right. and open to change and adaptation. Right. Cause at the end of the day, that's what it is, right? It's, that's so key and super, super key. So, I mean, what would be, what would be some time management tips you would give to the students that are balancing co-op and ex extra curriculars that they're also doing on the side? Are there any specific time management tools or tactics that you use to manage your time? Um, for me, I mean, again, I, I definitely think that's a, that's a really, really personal thing, like to each their own. Uh, for me, I, I keep everything that I need to do on, on an app that I have on my phone. Like, I think, uh, I mean, 
you being 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 uh, in my generation as well can understand that us youngins, we if we didn't have our phones, it's it may be shameful to say, but our lives would go haywire, right? Because um, <laughs> we just do so much with it, and the fact that I always have my phone on me and stuff like that, I'll just have like as soon as a new task comes up, go straight into my to do. I'll put the priority on the to do, and I'll put the reminders to when it needs to be done. And, and I find it, it works well because every day I'll just sort of do a run through of my to do and say, you know, what was I successful in completing? What was I not successful in completing? And I think having, you know, a, a to do or something like that, that closely accessible to you, it puts you in a habit, especially if you're checking it every day, just to continuously check it every day. And that way, it's more like likely for you to catch things that are, I guess, either overdue or getting close to overdue or like that have higher priority. So that's for me one thing yeah. that I that I really I really try and use. What uh what app is that? Yeah, it's it's on it's not anything it's not anything big. Honestly, I think it's called it's called uh Planner Pro. I'm pretty sure yeah, Planner Pro. It's like a little purple icon with like a feather pen on it. Uh that's that's the name of the app. Yeah, it's it's okay. it's not your it's not anything special. I'm pretty sure it's just your generic to do. But um I've just found like like yeah, like that's like it's one of my go to apps now, like that I that I open up because I'm just so used to looking at it now and and seeing what needs to get done. Um, but uh, sort of a, a separate thing that that uh, just popped into my head, and I know not not everyone always has the luxury of this, but um, having weekly like meetings or, or talks, even just like this, like on a consistent basis, it works very well if you have like a co-founder or something with some with a init project that you do talks with them about like conversations such as these you know um because it just keeps you in the mindset of of you know keeping you on your toes with like what your goals are and and it i think would innately keep your mind fresh set on okay these are the tasks that i need to achieve right if, if that makes sense because um yeah like an accountability partner kind of right yes, yes that's what i was looking for accountability right. partner. because that's one thing that i've noticed as of late that i really like i i wish i had more of that you know, with, with some, with like the YFP, for example, because, um, because like, like, uh, what's it called? Uh, like I'm a, I'm a sole like founder with this and like, I mean, not that, that that's a bad thing or anything, but I definitely think that, that you become more empowered when you have an accountability partner with you, who's just as passionate about what's, what's, what you're trying to achieve. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, no, definitely. I, I think the one thing that I found super interesting was that, not only do you set out a to-do list, but then you prioritize it as well. So I know for me, I yeah. used to do I used to do to-do lists, but I just end up not crossing half the things that I wrote on my list, and they just pile and piling right. up, and I just forget about it. But I think right, that's right. definitely one thing that I want to start implementing into my planning ritual, I guess, and establishing habits. Are there any other habits that you see, like not solely related to time management and productivity, but any other habits in your life that you think have been conducive or attributed to your success with YFP? Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, a matter of being extremely, I guess the word I'll use is, is uh, open, open-minded, I guess I'd say. I mean, on top of, of taking feedback from, from other people in terms of like how I deliver my program and, and stuff like that, even just being um, aware to the fact of how understanding that your mind is only one mind, you understand things only in one way and you portray things only in one way and trying to uh, make what I do more accommodating to 
a general mindset and, 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 and being able to make it, you know, uh, and interpretable by different types of, of mindsets. So doing that, like the way I try and do that is just by keeping things pretty high level, pretty easy to understand that anyone can really understand. That's why I chose to focus on intro level investing, for example. Um, and I think that's definitely been a, been a big help because like, I mean, due to the nature of what I, what I focus on, a lot of people uh, don't even have any entry level um, um, experience with investing. So I have a lot of a lot of feedback that I can receive and I have a lot of sort of mindsets that I could sort of engineer my 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 content to go towards. So I guess that's one being open-minded. And another is I guess yeah, no, being being diligent. Diligence is is probably diligence and consistency is probably uh the 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 fruit of of the the, the sustainability of any initiative. Being able to continuously go at it and and have the same amount of commitment that you uh, even if you don't have the same amount of commitment that you had the same day that you started, just acting like it and can and continuing to 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 put in those actions with the same amount of effort that you had at the start is 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 a really is a really huge thing because I, I was reading another thing on on Instagram and it said like something like seventy seventy percent of people who create plans don't end up sticking it out and and going through with it or something like that because I mean. It's it's I guess it's just human nature to to get bored quickly or something like that or or to not want to follow through uh, once you're not receiving that that instant gratification and um yeah you know oh hundred percent man we've had so many conversations about instant gratification it's it's uh it's amazing um but yeah no I definitely agree with you I think one of my favorite quotes by one of my favorite actors Denzel Washington he said. I think it was uh, without commitment, you'll never begin. And without consistency, you'll never finish is what he said. It was something along the lines. I think that was it, something along those lines. But, you know, it's so true because commitment is something that's really, really, really hard for you. Like people think your job is done when you set a goal for yourself. So let's say, you know, I'm sitting in my bed like eating chips and I'm like, man, I don't want to be an out of shape dude anymore. I'm going to start going to the gym. So I'm so like energetic. I'm so fired. I'm so fueled up and motivated. And let's say that night I go to the gym. And then, you know, three days later, that motivation's gone, even though I set a goal to go to the gym like every three days. So I think the the best and true definition of commitment is sticking to your word, even when the feeling you had when setting that commitment for yourself has passed. I think that's true commitment is like when time has passed after you set your goal, right? Um, so I definitely agree with you in that sense. So I know we're, we're kind of going over time here, but I just have two final questions for you. So if th- this one's kind of, you know, out in the world, I ask this to a lot of my guests that come onto the show. So if you had $200 million burning in your pocket and only 12 months left to live, what would be the first three to five things you would want to do? Um, so you can't say you're going to invest yeah. this in some ETFs. But none of that. You got to spend all of it. Um, I think uh, there would be two main things that I'd do. I would first make sure that my 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 family, my parents specifically, are they they'd have no troubles. That 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 that'd be the first thing that I'd make sure. Just because. Um, I'm sure I'm sure you'd be able to 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 agree. But 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 my situation, um, I come from an immigrant family. So we well, we moved around the world like uh, quite a bit. But I can definitely say my my parents story is is a pretty action packed one. And I mean, I probably don't even know the, the fullest of it. But I definitely know that they've put in 
a crazy, crazy, crazy amount of sacrifice and a crazy amount of um, exertion of effort just to even the fact that I'm even a like you, like we were even able to meet each other at great school of university of Waterloo in this great country is for me due, due to the, their efforts. Right. And the fact that I probably even have the capacity or the motivation to want to do something such as the YFP and make a difference in the world is from the influence that they've exerted on me. Right. Like, I mean, you become who like raises you, right? Like as a kid, your influences that get imposed on you as a kid is what you take further on into life. And the fact that I even have these, you know, aspirations, I think is a great deal from seeing my parents' care upon me, but just also into the world as well. So I definitely would, for one, want to make sure that my family is good, particularly my parents. But uh, the next thing that I'd probably do, I come from the from the country of um, Li- Liberia, it's West Africa. Um, and currently, um, it's 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 the, the the country sort of just in a, a state of, of of distress. I guess is kind of the word that I'd, that I'd use um, economically and financially. And although uh, culturally, I've 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 never really because I wasn't I was like I think we 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 moved to Canada when I was five, and um, even before we moved to Canada, I'd never lived in Liberia. My parents had moved out of Liberia when when I was born, and then we moved to another country, Kenya. Um, so I never really got to experience the culture like wholly or grow up in the culture wholly. Nonetheless, that's that's my roots. You know, what I'm saying that's where I come from. Um, so I would want to make an effort as much as I can to, to do what I can in that country and 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 help out the country that that has, you know, created my roots, created my family and, and brought up my family, uh, even though I haven't had the opportunity to really, you know, in a sense be a part of the country, you know, like a true citizen. Um, I know that that's something that very many of, of, of my family members would, would like to see, you know, um, a little bit of progression in the company, in the, not the company, the country. So I think honestly, those would probably be, those are the two things that directly come to mind since they're the two things that directly come to mind. I know it didn't reach three, but I think those would probably be, you know, where I'd like to allocate that, that, that cash. Yeah. So what what kind of impact would you want to create in Liberia then? Like, is there a specific thing, like a, something that you want to allocate the money towards or anything? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think it would be a matter of um, I think everything honestly starts from from education um, and starts from 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 a younger age. So if we're able to change the youth of today, we're able to change the future of tomorrow. Right. So I think providing students more of an opportunity to get hands-on experience in, in whatever field that they are focused on. So so whether that's providing schools the, the necessary training, pro- the funding to do the necessary training programs or, or companies, you know, the, the, uh, the necessary capabilities and financing needs that they need to take on these students to do a lot of what we do, like co-op experiential learning and, and stuff like that. I think that's, that's where it would start out from because once you, you give, uh, you know, people that, that hope, and especially young individuals that hope, uh, you empower them. And, and once they become empowered, they take that into their future. What's it called? And, and then, you know, pay it forward to their, to the, to the youth, like to the youth of, of tomorrow, I guess. Yeah. When, once they, you know, go into, to, to their, to their workforce and their time of, of making a difference, they would want to then pass it on to the youth of their day. And it becomes a chain reaction, I think. Yeah. Wow, that is very, very amazing, Travis. So 
before I go to my last question, yeah. do you want to just share with the audience where they could find out more about YFP or yeah. how they could contact you, your Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, whatever it is? Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, our, our like one shop stop, well, not one shop stop, but our main hub is our website, youngfundsprogram.com. Uh, all our contact information can be found there in the connect with us page. You can see all of our social media um, on Facebook, facebook.com slash YFP Canada, or just search up Young Funds Program on Facebook, search up Young Funds Program on um, Instagram. Our tag is at Young Funds Program, LinkedIn, same thing, Young Funds Program. Just to sort of put it out there too, I know we also just just recently launched our Anactus Waterloo page and and I think you guys did an amazing job with that. Um, so honestly, a lot of our information can be found on that uh, page as well. Um, but uh, yeah, those are those are the, the the main areas I can be found. If you ever want to talk to me specifically, um, anyone listening, um, I can be contacted at Travis, T-R-A-V-I-S uh, dot F at youngfundsprogram.com. Shoot me an email. Um, we can have a chat. It doesn't even have to be investing or finance related. Um, I'm more than happy to chat. All right, you heard it here today, everybody. Um, and one thing I just wanted to remind everybody is that YFP does a one-on-one -on -one consulting service, right? Um, yes. And it's it's pretty astonishing what YFP is able to do with this consulting service since pretty much starting in October is when it first things started first getting going. So that was what five months ago, almost half a year yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, around um, the give or take months. Yeah. Yeah, so from that, the consulting services grew to 60 plus individuals and collectively you've been uh, assisting them in managing a total portfolio amount of almost $55,000, right? Um, around there, so that, yeah. Around there, yeah. So that has been definitely amazing. And I know that for those listening and those truly interested by investing, you guys probably have a lot of other questions on your mind. So definitely, you know, take the opportunity, take the advantage to reach out to Travis and, you know, ask him more questions or learn more about investing, all of his contact information you just listed. And I will also put links to those websites and everything down in the description below. So be sure to check it out. Um, Travis is definitely one of the most passionate, uh, drive fire belly, fire in the belly person I've ever met in terms of his mission on what he wants to accomplish. Uh, he's a very, you know, competent and a very, very, very hardworking guy. Uh, to to tell a kind of a funny story to the audience, is we recently competed in the Enactus regional competitions, and so uh, basically what it was was it's these competitions, and it ha takes place Thursday to Friday. So I don't know why the setup is like this, but every single Enactus chapter has to bring their own projector to these competitions. So. Uh, Friday is the day that all the presentations take place. So Friday morning at like 7 a.m., they allocate like 15-minute time slots for you to do a tech check. So go into the presentation and make sure your projector's working and everything's all right. And so Travis currently works at PwC right now. So he's on his co-op term. Um, so I, I remember, Travis, you and I have had a discussion about this as well, is that you know the hours you work can be pretty ridiculous at times. We didn't get to dive in deep today, but... Basically, you know, we had booked a hotel room for Thursday night. That way we can get enough rest and sleep so that Friday morning we can get up bright and early 6 a.m. and, you know, have breakfast and then go do our tech checks and make sure everything's ready. So we're all waiting and we've all we've all arrived in the hotel room. So there's three of us already there. It's like we probably got there around 8 p.m. And then Travis is telling me, hey, you know, I'm staying extra late into work because I got to take Friday off. I'll probably be at the hotel around midnight. 
I kid you not, this guy showed up at midnight and he left his office at midnight and came to the hotel at midnight. By the time he was finished getting change out of everything and getting everything set up, it was like 1 a.m. So on like four or five hours of sleep, you got, we got up the next morning and he absolutely killed his presentation. So uh, there's video footage of that presentation on his Instagram page. You can definitely check it out as well. Um, so yeah, without further ado, the final question. You ready? Yeah. All right. If you could write anything on an online post where you could be sure that everybody would be able to see it, what would you write and why? Mm, I see. Okay. So honestly, I think uh, I've had themes of it throughout this this uh, this whole uh, session. But what I truly believe in, what I want people to understand is add value in, in the best way that you know how. I, I By that message, I want people to understand that each of us have our own core competency that is unique to us. And I think it's up to us. I think our life is a time to be used to figure out what possible way can I use this core competency for my, my fellow neighbor. You know what I'm saying? What, what can be done to, to make this world better? And, and then executing, creating a plan of execution on, like, it doesn't even have to be like you're ending world hunger or anything like that. Like, we talk about it, I mean, so many times, like making those those consistent actions, right? And I know we have a buddy or a couple of buddies that that focus on that mantra specifically. Um, but small things over time can add up, right? And I I want people to not think that they have no capability of of making a difference in the world because they're not a big celebrity, because they weren't born with the ability to be able to sing like Michael Jackson or something like that. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I want people to understand that that each of us have something that is unique to us that we're good at um, and that we can use that in some way, shape or form to 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 make the world better. So that's what I put out in in, in front of everyone um, as as an effort to say, you know what, like, it's time to get down. It's time to to see. Cause like I mean, what's what's the alternative? Like, like do nothing, you know what I'm saying? Just go through life doing nothing. Like I, I think I think it, it really makes the most sense for if we want our world to be the best that it could be. And I see no reason why we should not want yeah. that. Then uh, these are the steps we'd have to to take. Right. Wow. That was amazing. All right. Thank <laughs> you very much, Travis, for joining me today on the podcast. I am super excited to release this episode. So thank you very much for joining me here today. No, thank you, bro. I honestly appreciate any opportunity to ever do something like this. If you have made it all the way to the end of the podcast, thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. You can find out more about Travis and the Young Funds program by following them on Instagram at Young Funds program, as well as visiting their website, www.youngfundsprogram.com youngfundsprogram.com. I will put both links in the description below. If you want to reach out to Travis, you can also connect with him on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, all of the usual social media. I will leave some links for this as well. Now, I want you to screenshot a picture of the podcast, share it on Instagram or any other social media platform and tag three friends that you think would find this podcast interesting. Oh, 
and tag me as well. I'd love to hear any comments about some of the topics we covered in today's episode. Be sure to leave a rating or review on whatever platform you are listening through. I would greatly appreciate that. And follow me on Instagram at Johnny underscore Sue. That's J-O-N-N-Y underscore H-S-U. And to follow the Broaden Your Perspective podcast on Apple Podcasts, as well as other streaming platforms such as Spotify and Google Podcasts.